everyone, and welcome to the Friday, January 15th installment of the Silicon Insider, the only uncensored look at life and business in the Valley. My name is Mike Malone. I've been covering this town longer than just about anybody. And I'm here with our special contributor, Scott Budman, business and tech reporter for NBC Bay Area. As you'll notice again this week, uh, in honor of the California COVID lockdown, we're creating this podcast from our respective houses via Zoom. Our producer is Jordan Henderson, our East Coast correspondent is Bob Grove, and our host for this podcast, as always, is the Silicon Valley Business Journal. Okay, gee, anything happened this week, Scott? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I know that this is usually a week of calm, you know, between presidencies, and nothing's going on in Washington, and we can enjoy CES in Vegas, and of course, everything is different, and what a week it's been. Crazy. It's been absolutely crazy. So... This is the week where you could say that big tech finally, you know, opened the kimono and waded into politics and American society in a big, big way. Yeah, it didn't just wade in. It, uh, it jumped in with both feet and both hands clenched in fists. And uh, it really made things interesting um, at a time when um, not only was the focus on, oh, my gosh, look what. Donald Trump and his supporters are saying and tweeting and then posting, but at a time when um, Section 230 is, is up for grabs. And so people are starting to lay some of this responsibility on these social media companies. And it all sort of came together with them saying, okay, we've had enough. And they really lowered the hammer in a big way over a period of about three or four days. Well, they must feel pretty secure about Section 230 if they're willing to do this right now. I mean, they must believe that the new administration is not going to remove 230. And they must also believe that, I mean, some of this activity, especially related to basically killing off parlor, uh, strikes me as absolute restraint of trade, uh, conspiracy and violation of Sherman antitrust. I mean, an outfit, a brand new outfit suddenly starts drawing away users from Twitter, and next thing you know, all the major companies in tech suddenly announce, we're not gonna work with Twitter at all. We're not just gonna you know, fight them, we are going to make them not exist. They won't be able to find servers, their lawyers are gonna be threatened. I mean, I've never seen anything like this. I mean, we, we look back at the big, anti, you know, big antitrust things, a trust busting of Theodore Roosevelt, you know, against, against Standard Oil and all that. We look at the 50s and we see, you know, the Fed's breaking up or essentially keeping IBM restrained and because they, they had already destroyed Honeywell and Univac and all the rest of it. But I've never seen this kind of right out in the open collusion. We're not gonna allow this. Well, there are a couple of things at play here. I mean, one, what the people on Parler were doing, and it was proven by the riot at the Capitol, was you could say yelling fire in a crowded theater and therefore it's not really protected by the first amendment and some but of these companies the supreme court ruled you can say fire in a crowded theater i mean it, we all believe that line but it's actually not true but then the companies are saying okay if this can be said with the focus on 230 and remember 230 section 230 keeps these companies from being responsible for what is said on their platforms. But if you're Twitter and if you're Apple and to an extent AWS, 
uh, aren't you worried that this is going to come back to you? So at a time when even if a Biden administration says, okay, we'll, we'll table the concern about 230, these companies are worried about being associated with the riot, with the insurrection. And so they're taking pains to sort of clean up their own image as big tech that is responsible for this type of stuff. Yeah, but they're in the process, they're crushing free speech. I mean, you know, I, the Constitution is not a suicide pact, said Abraham Lincoln. And I read a comment on Twitter, ironically, on Twitter, <laughs> that said, well, if, it's, if they can do this because they're private companies and they're not strictly under the First Amendment, then why couldn't Woolworths in 1960 in Greensboro, South Carolina, deny seating at the counter to those black young men. You know, I mean, why, I, why couldn't a theater owner in Montgomery, Alabama in 1956 have a colored, roped off colored section in his theater? It's a private business. We can't interfere in commerce. But you're asking if by saying, um, I want to do damage to, say, the lives of senators and Mike Pence, and I want to, you know, hurt people, um, and, and I'm stopped from doing that, from inciting a riot. Are my civil rights being violated, like those people who wanted to dine at the counter? Their civil rights were violated. Are my well, civil rights violated if I am, in, you know, inciting violence? Well, no doubt, but... Why does Parler get blamed for this? I can go on Amazon and buy, you know, kill Trump items. I can go on Twitter, you know, and read hashtag kill the president. And somehow that's acceptable behavior in the name of free speech. But Parler, which just happens to be a new competitive threat. Oh, they're beyond the pale. They have to go. It's just the hypocrisy of all this. And I think the high point was Sheryl Sandberg this week. Sheryl leaned forward Sandberg saying, we've got to shut down Parler because they organized the, the DC riot on Parler. Well, then came out the next day, actually a lot of them organized it on Facebook. So, you know, this hypocrisy, this, well, it's okay because they have the right think to burn down cities this summer, but, you know, if you break into the Capitol now, this is wrong thing, so you have to be banned for life. Even if you were still out on the mall with the 200,000 other people and you didn't break away and you didn't commit breaking an area and you didn't attack and all of that. So we're now sweeping up larger groups of people and placing them under this tent. And, you know, if, if we're shutting down, and now let's talk about blacklists, and all of this. I mean, I'm not quite old enough to remember the blacklist, but my father was an intelligence, you know, he was out there looking at this stuff. Um, this is very reminiscent of just taking categories of people and blacklisting them and not for individual acts. I mean, the whole notion of this country was individuals do something wrong, the full weight of the law comes down on them. But if you get just because you're in a category, that's always been wrong in this country. And yet we seem to be acquiescing to that. We're sitting back and saying, well, they really shouldn't do that. But I think the consequences, potential consequences are terrifying. If every heterodox view gets banned now, then 
new ideas will disappear. We'll all be afraid to comment about anything that isn't in the con most conformist view. And that's frightening because what do we celebrate in American history? Mavericks, people that said things you weren't supposed to say, you know, like Frederick Douglass, you know, great men like that. And now we're saying, well, you can't have heterodox views, not even slightly out of, you know, you can't even be one st standard deviation off the medium medium and you know in the past it was three or four standard deviations out there it was crazies out there who gave us a lot of what we are now right but i mean uh, you know let me play devil's advocate if you're calling great thinkers people who wear camp auschwitz shirts to the capitol and commit federal crimes by stealing nancy pelosi's mail and yeah. by well, bashing cops heads in you commit right. a federal crime you go to jail you know right. and I'm a little squeamish about the idea that they're going to use facial identification, even above masks, to figure out who was doing this. I mean, it's a little bit, you know, minority report, but I'll buy that if we can really make the case that these were the individuals who did it, arrest them, throw the book at them, put them in jail. But to announce that 50 million people who kind of agree with that point of view, are now beyond the pale. They're no, they're, they become unpersons and they can lose their job and all that. I mean, and the media seems to be going along with it. I mean, we were supposed to be defending all the little people against the powerful people. I mean, that's the way I was raised as a reporter. But I look around now and I just see supplicants to power, you know? They're, they're, the, they're the shock troops of power now. And that bothers me too, because I don't like power you know, in any form that it comes. So anyway, that's my little Jeremiah about all this, but it, it concerns me greatly. Uh, you know, and if China is our model for society, I mean, go take a look, you know, what happens to, you know, unorthodox and heterodox views in China now, you know? So anyway, so 2.30, does 2.30 survive? I bet it does. Will there be any antitrust? I bet there isn't. You want to make a small wager? <laughs> I mean, if I were to wager at all, I would say there may be some antitrust in the future uh, coming down against some of these companies, although less likely. Uh, I mean, you know what? You, you, you would know, say I mean, less likely in a Biden I'm administration. I'm a fan of Elizabeth Warren, but. I was going to say, right, less likely in a Biden administration, but what if Elizabeth Warren is, is still around, which she will be. So antitrust is still on the table. 2.30, I'm, I'm less likely uh, to believe um, simply because the companies will fight it so hard. And everything you just said about keeping disparate voices off of social media becomes moot. If 2.30 is gone, Twitter has to eliminate all of those voices because they cannot be held responsible for any of these things or else they cease to exist as a company. And that goes for the parlors and the gabs as well as Facebook. They, they, they may fight to an extent against 230, but they all sort of say, well, we really need this in order to encourage free speech and encourage the, uh, the diversity of ideas, whether they be left or right or whatever. Yeah, but making them a protected class has also made them the richest people in human history. Right. I mean, for every comment that you see that's offensive on a parlor or a gap, you'll see a hundred of them on a Twitter or Facebook because of size. It's a numbers game and they can't whack-a-mole them fast enough. So, right, the larger ones are surviving. Um, the ones, you know, the, the reason Gab is having its moment in the, in the 
Sun right now is because it owns its own servers. It, it doesn't have to depend on AWS. It doesn't have to depend on the App Store. And we'll see if it can keep up with the demand that people are putting on it right now as we speak um, because Parler has gone away and Twitter is kicking people off. And uh, Facebook, eh, you know, it's still kind of being Facebook. So don't, so don't whack moles, you know? And then these companies have armies of lawyers fight it in the courts, case in precedent, that they're not responsible. If, if somebody lifts something from somewhere else, posts it on Twitter. Twitter is, if someone tries to sue Twitter, fight it with every lawyer you have, set the precedent, and create freedom of the press that way. I mean, right, well, there is now, we, the right now we've created a protected class of business in America, something we rarely do. We do during wartime. We also did when we were growing as a country starting out. But to say these people don't have to follow the same rules as everybody else uh, because they're uniquely different. I'm not buying it anymore. I mean, we've made these people incredibly rich and powerful, and I think they're abusing their power right now. We'll see. I mean, it'll be interesting to see if under a Biden administration, when some of this dust clears, if antitrust comes back because that developed some momentum in the last six months or so, but also if 230 stays around as an issue or if it just sort of fades away because um, perhaps legislators and the big companies think they've cleaned up enough. Who knows? Well, we'll see. And speaking of large companies doing uh, big moves, Google bought Fitbit? They bought Fitbit a while ago. The, the deal just closed. So it just closed, but I don't think the SEC has ruled on it or anybody else. And Google promises, oh, we'll keep your data secure. Now, we know they've said that before. Are we, are we supposed to believe them this time? Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, the, the scary thing is that Google has so much power and so much influence so that whenever they buy a company that has data, whether it's, you know, a camera inside your home, or your thermostat, you know, they, they bought those, um, and then now Fitbit, uh, what are they gonna do with that data, and, and how will they perhaps monetize or advertise? Um, yeah, this is pretty personal data. Well, sure. Yeah. sure. I mean, we were always bothered by, well, they can gather stuff on our buying habits. Remember how they could predict when women were pregnant by their right. purchases <laughs> and their searches and all that. Well, when you start sending them how many steps you took today and, you know, and increasingly all the other vital signs. I mean, it seems to me we have a, we have a firewall against private medical information without giving full permission in this country. Right. Right. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's all something we already deal with. I mean, I, back in the day when we could go to the gym, enjoy the rowing machine, not a day goes by now when I'm not getting an ad for a home rowing machine mysteriously on my phone, you know, so this is going to continue. I think it's something um, that most of us actually sort of accept to an extent, but how much further will we go with this where it's not just, oh, I was just talking about that or just surfing for that. Um, and it becomes, hey, Mike, uh, you've been slacking off lately. Here's some vitamins or here's yeah. a Peloton ad or something like that. Isn't that kind of violate HIPAA? I mean, isn't that the whole point of HIPAA protections? And so, I mean, we will get to the point where, I don't know if you've experienced this yet, but every once in a while you get a weird ad and you go, why did I get that ad? Sure. And you realize that you were in a store related to that. You didn't do any, you didn't make any purchases or anything else, but tracking your location. You spent too many minutes in that one place. So now you're a potential customer. 
You know, That's something I've we've been dealing with for years, absolutely. Yeah, and I find that, frankly, rather worrisome. <laughs> You know, it's, it's I mean, not going to get any less worrisome. It's not going to get any less invasion, invasive. Um, well, if, if our culture had said human beings are messy individuals, you know, and they leave, leave hypocritical lives and people go off on the dark side and come back or they do bad things and then they, you know, uh, absolve themselves and all that. That's one thing. And we have all this data. But if we have all this data about the complete trajectory of a person's life, now, all of a sudden, we have lots of useful information to take them down or control it. Something you did when you were 16 years old that has been stricken from your, your uh, records. You know, you went to juvie for six months or something. Now you're 47 years old. But it's all out there now. It's all accessible. You were a criminal. Right. Well, I mean, you know, this is something that you, you didn't deal with when you were coming up and, and doing job interviews or trying to get into a college or, yeah. or whatever, but it's out there now for yeah. everyone and everybody knows that everything they've posted, not to mention a lot of the details and data that has been posted about them, is fair game for better or for worse. Now granted, HIPAA does give you some healthcare protection, that's something we haven't crossed yet, a Rubicon, but um, look, job interviews, heck, dates, not to mention applications for jobs and colleges, People well, are going online. Eric, Your credit score, all this stuff is. Eric is Schmidt said what I think is going to end up being our epitaph, which was, well, if you don't have anything to hide, what's the problem with us gathering all your information? You know, in other words, if you're pure, then you shouldn't have a problem with this. Uh, chilling words. Right. Okay, so let's move on. Uh, you know, uh, I, this isn't going to get resolved probably in the next decade, but we need to talk about it. Um, let's talk about Intel. Intel got rid of its CEO. Yeah, and more importantly, and I think the headline is who they picked as CEO. Pat yeah, Gelsinger is someone- That guy's been around forever. It's like 40 years, but he knows he, his stuff. Right, he was at one time pretty much a front runner, if not the front runner for Intel's CEO job, didn't yeah. get it, went to VMware, a younger, more, dynamic company, you could say, right. uh, been very successful, uh, both financially and, you know, in, in the software space. Um, and then Intel went and brought him back and, and essentially mea culpa, hey, we should have given you the job where yeah. we have the chance and we get, we come on back. The swan. You, you were the guy. And uh, he strikes me, Gelsinger strikes me as an Intel kind of guy, you know? I yeah, mean, he was for a long time, sure. I mean, he's, I mean he's, he's absorbed the culture. He understands it from the inside out. He also, I think very importantly, he has a sense of the history of Intel, of this is what this company is supposed to be. This is the way it was. This is what it was like under Bob. This is what it was like under Andy. You know, we were, we were a hard driving, you know, winning, leading technology company in the world. And we've got to get back to that. And I think he's, I think he's, the timing's good because Intel has not been too savage yet internally and culturally. The problem with HP was they couldn't find anybody to take to replace Bill and Dave. They had John Young, he did okay, but not great. But after that, as the years went by, they lost more and more of the HP way culture as people retired, they were laid off and all that. So if you tried to reconstitute the HP way right now, you couldn't do it, it's gone. 
Intel still has the Intel culture. You know, the spirit of Andy still walks the aisles to a degree. Uh, Gelsinger's going to have to move fast because they are so far behind. Right. I mean, other companies have moved and taken advantage of Intel's misstep, and they've moved ahead, and now Intel's got to catch up. But in Gelsinger, you have someone who's at least thinks younger, and, and in that VMware-type culture, I mean, that was, again, a younger, faster-moving company, um, and perhaps he brings some of that back to Intel. So what does Intel do? Does it just try to catch up methodically, go to, go to 10 nanometer, and then try to get catch up that way, a, a five-year process maybe? Or does it try to just swing for the fences and go right out to the cutting edge, meaning they'll have to really make a sizable jump in their technology and their technique and everything else. And really, really depends what they are, what they decide and, and <clears throat> what he decides their, their target is. If their target is still beating AMD and doing it just with, with the microprocessor, that's one thing. If their target though becomes Qualcomm and Nvidia, they may have to buy some companies to start to catch up with those guys yeah. because yeah. everything is mobile and small and you know, your phone and Intel fell, you know, tragically behind on those right. things. And now not only is that sort of Qualcomm's area, but now everything is AI and cars and driverless and all that stuff. Right. Intel's behind on that to NVIDIA and those guys. Uh, do they buy a company or two or three to try to catch up in those areas, okay. whether it be mobile computing or AI? So change the culture, hire new people that are out there knowing what they're doing. Corporate acquisition, you know, and then change the recipe. I mean, that's a hell of a lot of things. And that's why I think a lot of these observers are saying Intel can't do it. It's a hard place to be. We saw Yahoo try to get back into the game when Google took over search uh, and they hired Marissa Meyer. She was very optimistic. She brought a lot of people on board, but it just wasn't going to happen. Um, right. HP, you could say, you know, lost relevance. They tried, as you just said, a few different people and a few different things, but they weren't gonna recapture their leadership you know, Intel is, hasn't been knocked off the top spot for that long yet, right. but they're off and everybody else is off and running. <laughs> so I, I don't really know how they catch up, but they have well, to catch up with you. You're going to get an interview with them. So I think you know what to ask them. I think these are vital questions for the fate of that company. Right. And hey, Pat, how big is the wallet right now? Are you opening the wallet or are you trying to do it from inside? Yeah. Okay. Uh, our weekly Elon Musk story. This is, he's a peripheral character, but a vital one on this one. This was Bob Grove sent us this one. Uh, he said, have you ever wanted an example of Musk's influence uh, in our present market, millennial insanity? Check out Signal Advance. Okay, so the, you know, small company doing well, but uh, Elon put out a, one tweet about the company and the stock went from $7 a share to almost $40 a share in 24 hours. Here's the thing, I'll correct you. He didn't put out a tweet about the company. Oh. This had nothing to do with the company. Signal is an app that you can download and send messages discreetly to one another. Uh, journalists rely on it a lot. Uh, it's, it's big for government. Um, so when the whole parlor, you That's know, thing was- That's too. Well, it may, but Signal and Telegram are two apps that have been around for quite a while. Journalists right. use them a lot. The downside is they're starting to be taken, uh, being used by people who want to plan these, these violent right. insurrections. So, right. So there's some pressure on that. 
But when all the stuff was going down with Twitter and Parler and all that, uh, Musk said, use Signal, as if to say, this is how we can communicate. Don't worry about WhatsApp. Don't worry about Twitter. Don't worry about Parler, for sure. Use Signal. And people bought stock in a company called Signal that has nothing to do with this. And that's not the influence of Musk. That's people with their Robinhood accounts just jumping on anything and sending a stock sky high. And if they made a little money and got out, all right, you made money on other people's mistakes. But if you bought high and now watch the program. How many, how many of those people bought it on him just saying use it? Yes, they bought it because they thought he was talking about a company when he was talking about downloading an app. Okay, so the, the, the case that Grove was making is we have millennial traders right now who literally operate just like full-time day traders. They're, they're just anything that they read anywhere that looks like a signaling up, boom, they're in it. Right, and that's dangerous. We, we saw that back in the dot-com boom, the day trading. Sure. You know, it, was, it was good while it was good. And yeah. people thought they were geniuses because the market was going up. Oh, we all and think it, we're geniuses during booms in the valley. Right. And uh, I mean, look at some of these stocks, you know, if you, I mean, goodness, and, and Musk's own company, Tesla, has done nothing but go up. Uh, but this signal thing is just people jumping on something that was a mistake and it was their mistake. And I, I just hope they didn't all end up losing money. Don't you see people taking advantage of this behavior in the near future? I mean, you talk about pumping a stock. You could literally get the right person to say the right thing at the right moment. And well, yeah, well, that's, and that's come, out of a, come out of it a billionaire in an afternoon. Right. I mean, there, there are laws against that, insider trading laws. But yes, that's what people try to do. They try to get people to talk up stocks and bid them up so that they can sell or buy them. Yes, that's yeah, illegal. So Kim Kardashian says something good about Intel. Uh, and it drives the stock up. She isn't going to be, she's not violating insider trading laws. I mean, you have to ask our people listening to Kim Kardashian about Intel. I, I think more when, um, uh, I, I believe it was Kendall Jenner, one of the Jenner, Jenner sisters says, you know, I'm, I'm off Snapchat, I'm bored with this. And the stock tanked. Right. Or Kylie um, saying, buy this, you know, I use this lipstick. Might have been kind of, yeah, and uh, right. And, and that's influencing to an extent, but you can't do it with stocks because that's illegal. Don't do it. Okay, I'm betting it'll <laughs> happen though. Uh, I bet it's already happened and we don't even know it. Okay, uh, chips, other chips. You pointed out, you sent me a note last night saying advanced micro device. I'm sorry, applied materials. Uh, their stock has doubled, tripled this year, doubled in the last three months. What's going on at applied? Nice state, semiconductor equipment company, Jim Morgan, you know, culture, stayed boring applied materials. Yeah, they've always done well. And it's one of those companies that to an extent has to sit back, but look at how hot the chips have gotten. And we talked about these companies, AMD, Qualcomm, NVIDIA. And so I, I guess it sort of goes downhill where when you need all these chips for cars and phones and AI, the chip equipment guys are gonna do well. And we've seen through the years, the LAM researches and the KLA 10 cores and the applied materials really get back to where they once were and hit new all-time highs because the least sexy technology in Silicon Valley, the chips, are all of a sudden red hot again. Well, but semiconductor industry companies have either been leading indicators or trading indicators. If the semiconductor industry gets caught by surprise, then they got to go out and order all those mask aligners and, you know, all that fab equipment. And then the SEMs all take off. But other times, 
if the industry predicts a major boom period, they start buying up that equipment early. So which do you think this is? Is this, is applied doing so well just because, boy, the chip industry got caught flat-footed by all the, you know, new devices, new cars, you know, new server farms have to be built. Is that what's going on? Or are the chip companies going, wow, we're heading in, we're seeing some interesting numbers out there. Things are going to take off for the next two years. I wouldn't be surprised if it's both. I mean, chips really got a boost, strangely to say, by the pandemic because people bought all this hardware and all that stuff. Um, we're putting more data out there. You need more servers, so you need chips for that. We're getting into these new technologies like AI and driverless, and you need chips for that. So I think if you look out into the future, you do see a, a bright day for the, the equipment guys, assuming that um, that future is global. Because again, Applied has more sales overseas than it does even here where it's headquartered. But, um, but yeah, I mean, the future looks bright for those companies. You know, I, I'm always pulling for those guys. I think that's the toughest business there is. They, they tend to survive longer than other technology companies, but they're always the tail of the dog. I mean, they get hurt by recessions worse than anybody else. It's a real tough, hardcore business building those boxes to, to make chips. I mean, those are real business people, man. Those are tough guys. So yeah, I mean, I, well, right, I'm, I'm not pulling for, for anybody one way or another, but I mean, you, you look out on the technology landscape and what's coming, and it's more of what we've been doing even during a pandemic. And so, you know, right, the more Zooms that are out there, the more Teslas, the more chips you're going to need. Okay, so more IPOs right now. So what do we have here? We have a firm came out and doubled its value. Uh, Poshmark, what's Poshmark? Poshmark is an, yeah, it's, it's an app, a software that lets you uh, pick out clothes and, and do that sort of thing. Yeah, well, that's why I don't know about it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> PetSmart. They're back. Interesting. You know, I mean, Pets Inc. was so, it was such a catastrophe that, you know, I, after it cratered, it's like everybody seemed like get away from the pet food business and the pet supply business. So IPO is still hot. Through all of this, through insurrection, through a disputed election, through, you know, discovery of Chinese espionage, we're still having an exciting IPO period. Yeah, what and, and we're, well, we're, we're seeing more of what we've seen again. Uh, I mean, these are all three companies with convenience. You know, you got pets, here's a company that's gonna bring stuff to you. You interested in fashion? Here's something that's gonna bring stuff to you. Affirm lets you shop online and do layaway. So it makes online shopping easier for a huge segment of the population. And they're all software related and they're all convenience related at a time where that is big money. I mean, it's, it's just seen an avalanche of these service-related companies that are software-based and that let you stay at home and participate in the economy. Okay, so is this that millennial exuberance we're seeing or is this really thoughtful investors, institutional investors going, software's not as volatile as it used to be, it's stable, this is where the future goes with home shopping, uh, Etc. This is a good extended term investment. Which I think both. I think the institutional investors are looking to get into something. 
Um, yeah. and, I, and I think they're doing the research and they're doing the, the due diligence to say, okay, this company can go public. The millennial investors you speak of are jumping on anything. And so, yeah, you know, they, they just don't want to miss out on whatever it is. And um, so they're buying up stocks that may be good, but they're also buying up stocks that are the wrong company at the same time. So it's a dangerous time because it's frothy. Yes. Okay, finally, Consumer Electronic Show 2021, virtual. Yes. Now, now the whole point I always thought of CES was you get to go down to Vegas on an expense account and you get to gamble. I mean, I have literally been in Vegas at CES eating rattlesnake meat and drinking vodka shooters. I mean, you know, porn companies with their whole exhibit set, high-end $200,000 stereo companies, the latest, you know, chip technology, the latest, and most of all, consumer crazy products that won't be around in six months. I mean, that's the whole point of going to Vegas for CES. And now you're sitting here like us, you're in your living room, you're going to CES. I mean, it's like the tree in the forest. You know, if, if you don't hear the sound of slot machines going off in the background while you're testing the commuter drone, is it really CES? And, right. Uh, so how was, was it? It was, it was like this. It was me sitting, looking at a screen going, hey, that's kind of interesting. Self-serve ice cream or, you know, deliverable drones or, you know, AI powered, whatever. Uh, so it, it obviously missed a lot and CES knows it. They did their best, but um, not only is there a pandemic going on, so you know, we can't go to Vegas, but um, it just so happened. It was fighting for oxygen from one of the bananas news cycle weeks that we've had right. in recent history. So it was, it was a tough go for CES. I didn't see a lot of coverage. There wasn't. Uh, I mean, really, you, you know, I, I'm a tech reporter and I could sort of do it on my own time and check it out. But think about all the stuff that was going down with social media and in the Capitol. And there just wasn't that much time to say, hey, look, you know, a big screen TV that can, you know, <laughs> give you artificial intelligence. Well, and you know, just part of CES was the serendipity that you'd be walking down the aisles and you'd see a company you'd never heard of before. Right. And you go talk to them and that would end up being your most important feature. You know, you can't do that, can you? No, um, no, the, the, that serendipity is gone uh, until we can go back. And uh, my favorite stories were always the one that we just sort of bumped into and that didn't have the big marketing budget with a gigantic booth. Um, and, uh, you know, you'd have to do a lot of scrolling to, to find that this year. So with CES, what it usually is, is a destination event for companies to, you know, thousands of companies, I always thought it was a stupid idea. Even when I, even when I was a PR guide back before I became a, a journalist at HP, I said, you know, why are we introducing products at CES? Introduce them the week after because then there's a news void. But thousands of companies would save up their products and in their famous stories then finishing building the prototype on the plane flying into Vegas to introduce it at CES. Was there any indication that this was a, this was a target point this year? Um, not as much because the target is not just getting your product seen, but it's meeting with people from literally all over the world. Yeah, the deal's and, upstairs in the hotel. Yeah, and so now, you know, even that's being done over Zoom. So it's a little different. I mean, they're just, you know, you can do the meetings, you can even see the product, you can say, hey, look what's gonna be in your living room in five years. But without the background, without the, 
buzz and the energy, it just doesn't catch on as much. And so, um, you know, all those people that are saying, hey, the future of uh, these con conferences might be virtual, I don't think so. Remember post 9-11, business traffic was gone forever, right. uh, but then it came back. Um, and, and I think eventually these things will come back too. There's just that connection that people want. Okay, well, before we go, let's real quick talking about coming back. The, the vaccinations have begun. You know, I think in California is now doing 75 and older. They're gonna go 60 and older, yay. Uh, in the next few weeks, you know, we're, we're on a track now that the vaccinations will be, will cover the population probably by April, maybe May, and then we come back. How fast do we come back? How, what, what has changed? We can do a whole show on this, but a real, just a quick, you know, two sentences. Tell me what's going to happen on this comeback. If I had to sum it up in two sentences, I'd say a lot slower than everyone is thinking and a lot more gradual than everyone is thinking. Take all those plans of jumping back and shelve them for a while. The rollout of the vaccine is gonna take longer than we think, I think. Uh, the trust is gonna take longer than we think to come back to these things. And so businesses have to be patient. Um, you know, Biden just rolled out a $1.9 trillion uh, you know, COVID relief plan. That's gonna to have to kick in because especially these small businesses, they're not gonna get the traffic of the techies and the people coming for a while, I'm afraid, into summer. But if you're taking care of everybody over 60, you've taken care of everybody that's not 99.9% likely to survive the thing. Can't we open then? We can open some things, um, yeah. but uh, I mean, look, these strange variants, we're seeing hospitalized teenagers. I mean, nothing is, is, is gonna be ready to go back to normal for quite yeah, some nothing, time. Nothing is, nothing is perfect and certain in this life. I mean, at some right. point, yeah, okay. Well, that's it for now, folks. You can find us on the Silicon Valley Business Journal homepage, as well as on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. And now, of course, YouTube. Stay safe. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.